Hello there. You are listening to the MCC Sunday Sermon. We are so glad you could join us. We pray that this message will encourage you, build your faith on your journey with God. Enjoy. Today is a pretty significant day for MCC because today is our annual Thanksgiving offering. And we do this once a year, and it's a time where we come together as a church family. If you've come along for the first time, you're like, wow, today's like a really important day. Um, It is an important day. And at the end of this morning's service, we're going to have a chance to be able to come and to bring our offering. And I do want to say, if this is your first time, just, just relax right? Um, there's no obligation to be involved in this. This is something we do as a church family once a year, and you're welcome to be a part of it. But I just want to, from the outset, just there's no expectation for that at all. Um, I love that we have an annual Thanksgiving offering uh, for a few reasons. One, because it gives us an opportunity to be able to exercise generosity, that, that we believe in tithing, right, as a biblical principle. Tithing is kind of tied up in a bigger idea, which is stewardship, that, that everything I think I own actually is on loan to me from God. And so tithing is about me returning to God what belongs to him, a tenth. But, but, but generosity begins beyond the tithe. And so I love that we have an annual Thanksgiving offering because it gives us a chance both to give an act of worship, that, that in our giving we, we reflect the heart of God, but, but also an opportunity to be able to exercise faith. And so over the last few weeks we've been pointing out our intentions for 2024, and that's what's a part of this Thanksgiving booklet. Um, these are the, this outlines both locally and internationally the mission's expression of what we're believing to do over the next 12 months, and also towards possessing this great facility that God's given us. And so I'd love if we take a moment to be able to pray, and then we're going to jump into the message this morning. Lord, I just thank you this morning, God, for your word. Lord, I pray today that you'd help me to be able to preach it, that God, today we might leave this place different. God, encouraged and challenged, Lord, inspired. In Jesus' mighty name, we ask these things. And everybody said, amen. Psalm 105 is a significant verse for Elise and I because it's the verse God used to call us here. But it's also a significant verse for us as a church, and it's part of the reason why it's in the front cover of our Thanksgiving booklet. Psalm 105 reads this. It says, For he, talking about God, God remembered his holy promise given to his servant Abraham. He brought out his people with rejoicing. There was excitement. There was anticipation. He brought out his people with rejoicing, his chosen one with shouts of joy. If you'd spent 400 years in slavery, I reckon you would have been pretty excited too, right? And remember, they weren't just leaving with their freedom. They also, God said to them, just before they left, I want you to go and knock on the doors of all the Egyptian guys you know and ask them for all their things. They didn't just leave empty-handed. God helped them to leave with their bags full. And so they came out with shouts of joy and with rejoicing, and he gave them the land of the nations. They fell heirs to what others had toiled for. Because God wasn't just remembering his promise to bring them out of Egypt, but to bring them into a promised land, but where they would inherit a land that God had always intended for them to have. But, but all the buildings that were built there, they didn't have to build. And all the fields that had been plowed there, they didn't have to plow. They fell heir to something that God had entrusted to them. It was theirs, but now they needed to possess it. The Old Testament book of Joshua records how Israel took possession of the promised land. Something God had promised to Abraham hundreds of years earlier now falls to Joshua and the people of Israel like it does to us to then cross the Jordan River and possess what God had given to them. It was theirs. It had already been promised to them, but God was now taking them on a journey to possess what he had promised. 
They'd been slaves in Egypt for 400 years, and they'd never owned anything. And they'd wandered in a desert aimlessly for 40 years, and now it's Joshua's responsibility to lead this new generation across the Jordan River and to possess the promise. And that's important for us because in the same way that Israel needed to take possession of what God was giving them, that's really the journey for you and I as a part of this Thanksgiving offering to possess what it is that God has entrusted to us. Which is why I said this is not about us paying off a debt, that this is actually about us possessing what God has promised. In Joshua chapter 1, God encourages Joshua three times, be strong and courageous. Why? Because a journey of possessing a promise from God is not for the faint-hearted. The journey of possessing a promise from God requires courage and strength. And notice the promise that God gives to Joshua in Joshua chapter 1 and verse 3. This is what he says, I will give you every place where you set your foot as I promised Moses. Joshua, it's yours. All you've got to do is put your foot on it. Joshua, it's, it's yours, but all you've got to do is possess it. Every place you put your foot. Long before there was pedometers, right, and Apple was trying to close the rings, God was encouraging his people to increase their step count. Because every place they put their foot, God said, I'm going to give it to you. It, it, they're not doing it on their own. They're doing it with God. When you read the book of Joshua, you realize that God's supplying the strategy and God's supplying the tactics and God's supplying his supernatural power, but they're going to sweat. Oh, they're going to, they're going to get their step count up. They're going to sweat. They're going to work. They're going to sacrifice. They're going to need faith. They're going to need courage. They're going to need patience. They're going to need endurance because this isn't going to happen overnight, but it is going to happen. It takes them seven years to conquer the promised land and then another seven years to settle the promised land. And in total, Joshua ends up leading God's people for 28 years. And so the conquest of the promised land teaches us how to possess a promise from God. So this morning, we're going to look at the conquering of Jericho, the very first place in the promised land that God takes them. Because there's some lessons in the journey of God's people possessing Jericho that help to set a bit of a pattern for us about how to possess the promises that God gives us. Not just in terms of possessing this facility, but in your own life. That the promises that God has put in your own heart. That the dreams and the visions that God's given to you. That the word that's been spoken over you. How do you possess a promise from God? Well, the pattern is laid for us in the book of Joshua. And so this morning we're going to look at Joshua and the battle of Jericho because Jericho is the first city. It's the first place God takes them. It's the largest city. It's the most fortified city. God takes them to the hardest place first. He doesn't take them to the easy place and then sort of work their way up. No, God takes them to the most difficult place first. Why? Because God is going to set a precedent. And the way you conquer Jericho, which is the largest and the hardest and the most fortified, is actually the pattern for how you conquer all of the promised land and inherit the promise I have for you. So Joshua chapter 6 and verse 2, this is what the Bible says. Then the Lord said to Joshua, See, I have delivered Jericho into your hands, along with its king and its fighting men. March around the city once with all the armed men. Do this for six days. Have seven priests carrying the seven trumpets of ram's horns in front of the ark. And on the seventh day, march around the city seven times with the priests blowing the trumpets. When you hear them sound a long blast on the trumpets, have the whole army give a loud shout. Then the wall of the city will collapse and the army will go up, everyone straight in. That God's plan for taking possession of Jericho 
as a precedence for, for then conquering all of the promised land is to silence and to sound and to shout. That God says to Israel, what, what I want you to do, Joshua, is I want you to gather all the people. And what I want you to do is I want you to take them to march around the city of Jericho once for the first day. In fact, do that for six days. On the seventh day, I want you to march around the city walls seven times. This is not a small city. This is a large city. This is the most fortified city of the promised land. Historians say that for the walls of Jericho, they were so large and so broad, there's historical accounts that they used to race chariots side by side around the tops of the walls of Jericho. This is a big city. This is a big deal. And God's plan for them conquering Jericho is to march around the city in silence. I'm not a military tactician. But that seems like an odd way to conquer the city of Jericho, to march around the city. And for God to note, I want you to march around, but I don't want you to say a word. That's interesting. Why would God say that? Because for 40 years, all that Israel has done is murmur and complain in the desert. And so when they cross the Jordan and they get to Jericho, God says, I want you to march around. Just, just one thing, just march around. Don't say anything. You've never done this, right? Only Elisa and I, only me as a parent has ever done this. But have you ever had a moment with your kids where you're like, yeah, kids have a tone. You know what the tone is. It's that whining tone. Dad! It's like, a, it's quite a, it's like they teach them this, right? Where they get this tone, they start to complain or they whine or they hit each other and you're like, if you, if you say one more word, I know you've never threatened like this, right? But if you could just... Ultimately, what God is saying to them is, you've spent 40 years murmuring in the desert. If you say one more word... And so God causes them to march around the city of Jericho in silence. The first thing God asks them to do in possessing a great promise is to do this, is to silence unbelief. For 40 years, they've murmured and complained in unbelief. For 40 years, they've longed to go back to Egypt. They've complained against God. They've complained against Moses. They've been up in arms. And God says, you know what? If you're going to inherit the promised land, there's some things that were okay in the desert that you can't do anymore. In the desert, it was okay to complain. I'll let you get away with that. But, but if you're going to inherit the promised land, there's, a, there's some things that you used to do. You can't do those anymore. They were for the other side of the Jordan. You're now on this side of the Jordan. There are some habits that are going to need to be left in the desert. There are some mindsets that you've possessed, some lies that you've believed. Those things are going to need to stay out there in the desert. They're not a part of the promised land. There are some relationships that were a part of the desert, they're not a part of the promised land. There's some hurts and offenses that you carried in the desert. They've got to stay on that side of the Jordan River because they're actually not a part of this side of inheriting the promise. And so God says, I want you to march around the city and I want you to do it in silence. Why? Because if you're ever going to inherit a promise from God, the first thing you've got to do is you've got to begin to silence unbelief. That, that, that You've got to leave the murmuring of unbelief in the desert and a part of that wandering. Ultimately, what God is saying to them is, if you don't have anything good to say, just march around in silence. First thing you've got to do if you're going to inherit a promise from God is you've got to silence unbelief. You've got to realize there were some things in a previous season of your life that were okay, you are a part of a desert. But now you're coming into promise and some things need to shift in your own heart and in your own habits and in the way that you live your life. Here's the second thing God says. He says, I want you to march around the city 
once each day for six days, and, and on the seventh day, seven times, and I want you to march around in silence. The only thing I want you to hear is the sound of the priest. This is kind of interesting. That, that God places the priests at the front of the marching order. Not the swords, not the artillery, not the people with bows and arrows. No, no, God, God says, I want you to put the priests right out in the front. And I want them to be blowing on the trumpets. And as you march around in silence, all that you're going to hear is worship. Isn't that interesting? That God, as a military tactician, says, I want you to march in silence. And all I want you to hear, all I want you to hear for seven days is I want you to hear worship. I want you to hear the priests blowing on the trumpet. I want you to sound victory even though the walls are still intact. Isn't that what worship is about? Worship is about rejoicing and thanking God even before you've possessed the thing that God's actually called you to possess. Can you imagine if you were a soldier on the walls of Jericho watching down, thinking, man, we've had lots of people come and attack us, right? We're kind of a big deal in this promised land of Canaan. We've never had anyone march around in silence, but that's weird. And to put the priests out the front, why why on earth would they be singing when the walls are still intact? If you were a soldier on top of the walls looking down at the people of God, you would have thought, these guys are crazy. And you would be right. Because whenever God asks a person to begin to act in faith, it does seem a little bit crazy until the breakthrough happens. It does seem a little bit weird. Because faith will cause you to act in such a way as if something has come to pass which as yet still seems impossible. In Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1, isn't that what the Bible says? It says, now faith is the substance of things hoped for, and it's the evidence of things not seen. Well, what does that mean? It means that faith will cause you to act and to prepare like something's already happened, even though in the natural it looks like that's never going to happen. Faith will cause you to price up the warehouse, even though you haven't started a business yet. Right? Because faith causes you to act as if something's come to pass, which as yet still seems impossible. Right? Faith will cause you to buy the engagement ring, even though you haven't asked her to get married yet. Right? Faith will cause you to buy the pram, even though you haven't conceived a baby yet. Right? Because faith begins to prepare in advance. That in time, it'll look like, well, that seems like it was very wise. But at the time, it seems like that's an impossibility. Right? There's some teenage boys who are here this morning. Faith will cause you to book the restaurant before you ask the girl out, which will be after high school, because you'll save dating for an age and stage of your life where you can do something more with it. Okay. And so the priests are out the front and they're leading worship. Why? Because if you're going to inherit a promise from God, you've got to silence unbelief, but you've got to begin to sound victory. What does that sound like? It sounds like worshiping God while the walls are still intact. They're worshiping before there's breakthrough. Why? Because whatever you sing about, ultimately you end up bringing about. That's why the confession of your mouth and the confession of your worship is so incredibly important. Never confess faithless things over your life. Never confess unbelief. Never confess doubt. Just don't let it out. Confess that God is good, that God hasn't brought us this far to leave us high and dry, that those walls might be intact, but God is about to do something spectacular because that's the kind of God that he is. So you've got to silence unbelief. They marched around in silence. You've got to sound victory. They're worshiping. The walls are still up. The last thing God says is that on the seventh day, what I want you to do is I want you to march around seven times. And then when I give you the nod, Joshua, that the priests are going to blow on the trumpets. And then what I want you to do 
is I want you to ask the army, every person, to shout. Interestingly, the Bible never tells us what they shouted. I have a theory about this. Because if you read the whole story, what actually happens is just before they cross and go to Jordan, what, what God says is, he says, there's a whole generation who've lived in the desert here, but they don't bear my mark. So Joshua, I want you to circumcise them all. Now, I'm not a military tactician, but to inflict that kind of injury on your army just before you're about to go into battle does not seem like a wise move. But that's what God does. So, so Joshua has all the men circumcised, right? That's a task in itself. We're just going to leave that. We're going to leave that right there. Okay, leave that. Don't don't get distracted by that. That happens. Then the scripture says they have a few days rest. Can I say to you that there is no amount of days rest that is sufficient to overcome an injury like that? Right? There's no ice packs. They're in the middle of the desert. Okay. A few days rest. Then Joshua says, all right, guys, here's what we're going to do. This is what God said for us to do. He wants us to march around the city. The guys are like, are you kidding me? We're marching. Just one more thing God said. Um, He wants you to march around in silence. He wants you to do it in silence. Can you imagine being one of the soldiers like, march, seven days, seven times on the seventh day in silence? I reckon the Bible doesn't tell us what they shouted because the Bible's not allowed to tell us what they shouted. (laughs) But the trumpets are blown and the people shout and this is what the scripture says happened on the seventh day. They got up at daybreak and they marched around the city seven times in the same manner except that on that day they circled the city seven times. The seventh time around, when the priest sounded the trumpet blast, Joshua commanded the army, shout, for the Lord God has given you the city. Verse 20, when the trumpet sounded, the army shouted, and at the sound of the trumpet, when the men gave a loud shout, and I bet it was loud, the wall collapsed, so everyone charged straight in, and they took the city. That God does an incredible miracle. They they silence unbelief, march around in silence. They're sounding victory. They're worshiping while the walls are still intact. And then God says, I want you to shout praise. I want you to shout because in your shout, I'm going to amplify your action and cause the walls of the city to to fall and crumble before you. That God's going to do an incredible miracle. They're going to shout praise and the walls are going to come down. And that's exactly what happens. And then in verse 24, God's pretty intent about this. that They burned the whole city and everything that was in it. And they put the silver and gold and the articles of bronze and iron into the treasury of the Lord's house. God asked them to do those first three things, silence, sound, shout. The last thing God asked them to do is to give, which is actually kind of an interesting thing for God to ask them to do. Because again, this is the first city that God is setting a precedence here with Jericho that will actually be the pattern for them conquering all of the promised land. God says, I want everything from Jericho. It belongs to me. It's mine. And so that's what they do. They, they, they burn everything up. They, they, they leave no prisoners. They, they take all the gold and the silver and, and all the artifacts, and they put those into the treasury because God says, I want the first. It belongs to me. But why did God want Jericho as an offering? Because that's ultimately what it was. God wanted Jericho as an offering. Why? Because that would require faith. 
God didn't want them to conquer the whole promised land and then after conquering the whole promised land, dividing up all the spoils of that conquest and then taking a percentage of those and then putting that aside and giving that to God and then distributing the rest. God says, no, no, no. You're going to conquer the whole promised land. I'm giving it to you. This is yours to possess, but I want the first city. I want everything from the first city for this reason because the first has faith on it. Because when you conquer Jericho, you've got no guarantee that you're going to conquer any other cities. But in giving me what is first, you you will show your trust that we're believing God not just to conquer one city, but to be able to take the entire promised land. And so Jericho was to be a first fruits offering for Israel. That's why God asked for it. Because it takes faith to give the first. Proverbs chapter 3, verses 9 and 10 says this. It says to honor the Lord with your wealth, with the first fruits of all your crops. Then your barns will be filled to overflowing and your vats will brim over with new wine. And so God wants them to silence and to sound and to shout. But the final thing he wants them to do is to be able to give. To take as an offering all the spoils of Jericho and to put them aside for God. But to act in faith in this way. I said this to us before because I honestly believe this. This is a significant moment for us, this Thanksgiving offering. As it will be next year and the year after that as well, but because this is about us possessing what God has given to us. That that requires a level of silencing unbelief. That that requires for us a a level of sounding victory. And that requires from us some shouts of praise, but, but it also requires from us the opportunity to be able to give and to be able to give with faith takes faith to be able to give what's first because there's no guarantee of what will happen next. Here's what happens for Israel. They do exactly that. They give Jericho as an offering to God. They all do it all except for one guy. His name's Achan. And Achan sees all the spoils and he sees it all being put into the treasury of of the house of God and and he thinks to himself, surely God doesn't need all this stuff. And you know what? He's actually right. God doesn't need any of this stuff. It's actually not about the money. God wants their heart. And by giving God what is first, they're ultimately saying, God, we trust you. Not not just for this one battle, but for all the battles that will be like it in possessing this promised land. God's not interested in the money. He's interested in their heart, you see. Well, Achan looks at all the, the, the treasure that's there and he thinks to himself, God wouldn't miss like a few robes and a few bars of silver and a little bit of gold. And so he takes it without anyone looking and then he takes it back to his tent and he he digs a hole in the bottom of his tent and and he hides it there. And what happens for Israel is they go to the next city, they go from Jericho, the next place they go to is Ai. When they go to Ai, they they, they send out a a scouting group to, to have a look and they come back and report to Joshua, look, we've just taken down Jericho. Jericho was massive. Ai is small. Joshua, don't weary all the men by taking them there. We'll only need three or 4,000 people to take AI. That, that will be simple. That'll be a walk in the park. With God with us, it'll be simple. So that's what they do. They send three or 4,000 guys up and they go to battle in AI and they get absolutely walloped. And Joshua's beside himself. He's like, God, what's the go here? I thought we are supposed to be conquering the promised land and Jericho's amazing. Then we go to AI and we can't even... We can't even defeat this little tiny place called AI. What's wrong? And God speaks to Joshua's heart and he says, because you've dishonoured me. Joshua's like, dishonoured you? How? How have 
we dishonored you? And then Joshua realizes somebody took something that belongs to God. And so they, they gather all of the people of Israel and God calls forward one tribe and then one clan and one family. God's trying to provide an opportunity for Achan to be able to repent, but he doesn't. God's trying to afford every opportunity for him to be able to fess up. In Joshua chapter 7 and verse 20, Achan finally does. Joshua chapter 7, verse 20, Achan replied, It's true, I've sinned against the Lord, the God of Israel. This is what I've done. When I saw the plunder in a beautiful, in the, in a beautiful robe from Babylonia, 200 shekels of silver and a bar of gold weighing 50 shekels, I coveted them and I took them. They're hidden in the ground inside my tent with the silver underneath. In the end, it doesn't work out so well for Achan and his family. But it does illustrate for us a point. That, that in possessing the promised land, God was really clear. There were some things you did in the desert that are not a part of this side of the Jordan. You've got to silence some unbelief, some habits, some mindsets, some hurts, some offences. There's some things that you need to leave in the desert because you're stepping into something that's new. I'm leading you into possessing something that's bigger than your wildest dreams. You've never known what it was like to own anything because you've come out of slavery and bondage, but I'm going to show you what it's like to inherit something that other people have toiled for. Not, not only are you going to silence unbelief, but, but you're going to begin to sound victory. I'm going to teach you how to worship while the walls are still up. I'm going to teach you how to worship while, while, while the breakthrough still hasn't happened. I'm going to teach you how to worship and thank me even before the diagnosis has changed on the medical report. I'm going to teach you how to be able to worship me even when you're on your knees and believing for a miracle. I'm going to teach you how to do it when the walls are still there. I'm going to teach you how to shout praise. Because it's not silent, it's demonstrative. When you begin to shout and declare the goodness of God with gratitude in your heart, that when you begin to declare that, that, that your praise of God in your mouth being declared is enough to bring down the most fortified stronghold. There's some strongholds and areas in your life that you thought, I'll never overcome that. I'm always going to struggle. It was a struggle for me. It was a struggle for my dad. It was a struggle for my granddad. It's just always going to be a trouble to me. But, but you'll find that as you begin to praise and declare, even those areas of stronghold in your life will be broken. They'll come to nothing. They'll be reduced to rubble and dust on the ground. And you'll be able to walk straight in nothing things stopping you. But I'm also going to teach you how to honour me by giving what is first as an act of faith. Can I tell you, there is never a convenient time for a step of faith. If there is, I haven't found it yet. That a step of faith always comes at the most inopportune time. Because there's almost a test of your faith, isn't there? Like, will, will I be reasonable and work everything out? And then what remains? Okay, God, you can have that. Or will I act in faith and say, God, I'm going to give you what's first? Because that's what I feel like you spoke to our hearts to be able to do. And I know that you're good. And I've seen you do this before. I'm going to honor you in it. There's never an opportune time to take a step of faith. <laughs> There's never a convenient time for an offering. They always come at the weirdest times. 
And when you're the pastor and you're setting the time, you're like, God, you could have like you could have spoken to me about that. I'm being a little bit facetious. But it's because this is true. That God wants to know, will you honor me? Will you put me first? And so for Elise and I, we're actually a bit excited about this. Because we're going to do what God's asked us to be able to do. And here's the thing, it'll be different to what you do. But my prayer is that each of us, as we do what God has put in our hearts to be able to do, that it would have this in common, that it would have faith attached to it. That for each of us, there'd be an element of God, this is me trusting you. That God, this is me honouring you. That this is us possessing what God has entrusted to us. It takes faith to silence. It takes faith to sound. It takes faith to shout. And it takes faith to be able to give. That's why our Thanksgiving offering is an act of our worship and of faith. So I'm going to pray for us and then we're going to do this together. Lord, I just thank you for every single person who's in this room today. God, greatly loved by you. And Lord, I just pray even right now that God, for each one of us, that you'd speak to our hearts. That God, you'd speak to us about what it is you'd have us do in this moment. God, what you'd have our family do over this 12 months. And Lord, I pray not only for the faith to be able to write that down, but God, I also pray for your blessing upon people's lives to make that a reality. God, I pray for every single person who's running a business who's here. God, I pray in unprecedented measure that, God, you would give them incredible favour in their businesses. God, I pray in terms of billable hours and invoices sent, that, God, there would be a supernatural increase to that, that, God, you would cause employees to come in, that, God, you'd cause finance and work to come in even from unexpected places, that, God, you would cause your hand of blessing, God, to rest upon their efforts, and, God, you would cause increase to come in those businesses. God, I pray for people who are working in jobs, that, Lord, they would see promotion and favour in their workplaces, that, God, that you would go before them and, God, give them favour, Lord, not just with their peers, but, God, also with their bosses and supervisors. God, I pray for people who are, who are looking for work and, and believing you, God, for breakthrough financially. God, I pray again that you would show yourself faithful and true. That God, even as they submit applications and God, put in resumes, God, you would cause theirs to go to the top of the pile. That God, even as they go into their interviews, maybe they've not even interviewed well before, but God, you just give them confidence. God, just a supernatural confidence that God, if this business was to hire me, it'd be the best decision they made this year. God, I pray that you would show your hand of blessing, that Lord, in the same way that the psalmist said he'd never seen the righteous forsaken, nor their children begging for bread, God, I pray that would be true for us, that God, we would see your faithfulness in this area of our life, that God, it might prove your faithfulness in every other area too. In Jesus' mighty name, Lord, speak to our hearts even right now. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you once again for joining us. Feel free to contact us on our Facebook, our website, and jump on our Instagram at mcc.church. Also, make sure to rate and review as well as share. Finally, from all the team at MCC, have a blessed day. And until next time, bless you.